New Year, and it's like it's so wonderful to be back after a long, unplanned break. I have missed sharing Sunday school lessons, and I'm so ready to just dive back in. I am Takia Evans, your host, and welcome back. Or if it's your first time, welcome to Out of the Box Sunday School. And as always, thanks for taking the time to listen in today. And our lesson is entitled Justice, Vengeance, and Mercy. The background lesson is from Genesis chapter 4. The printed text in the lesson is Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We live in a society that thrives on categorizing people. We want to know who's smart, who's popular, who's successful, who's athletic, who's musical, who's talented, all of those labels. These labels are supposed to help us categorize things. But when it comes to our kids, labeling, whether it's intentional or unintentional, dramatically increases the competition between siblings. So let's think about it. When we talk about our athletic one, the good eater, the smart one, or even our wild child, we inadvertently draw comparisons between our kids. When we refer to one child as the athletic one, the other child automatically thinks, well, I'm not that athletic, so why do I even try? Or when one child is a good eater, the other assumes she may not be. Now, I'm not sure if this was the case within our lesson today with Cain and Abel, but we know that things did not work out well between the two of them. Talk about sibling robbery. This example shows us what happens when evil takes root in a brother's heart. In today's lesson, it focuses on the first human family. The sin of Adam and Eve was followed by God's curse. The couple experienced a twofold separation. They were separated geographically from the garden and spiritually from God. So here we have Adam and Eve who had lived happily in innocence and fellowship with God in the garden. After they sinned, they felt guilty and sought relief by placing the blame on others. So then God cursed the serpent for the part he played in this whole situation and pronounced sorrow and pain and childbirth on Eve cursed the ground and declared that Adam would have to till the ground and sweat in order to provide food for his family. So here in Genesis chapter 3 verses 20 through 21, we have Adam naming his wife Eve and God making them coats of skin to replace the fig leaves they used to hide their nakedness. Genesis chapter 3 ends with Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden and God provided cherubims and a flaming sword to prevent anyone from entering the garden. Our lesson today begins with chapter four. I will begin reading Genesis chapter four, verses one and two. Adam and Eve had a son. Then Eve said, I'll name him Cain because I got him with the help of the Lord. Later, she had another son and named him Abel. Abel became a sheep farmer, but Cain farmed the land. The conception and birth of the first human offspring follow what people have known as the ordinary course of events. Cain was born through ordinary human sexual reproduction. So the name Cain means possession and it sounds like the Hebrew word acquired. It is commendable that Eve gave God credit for her son for she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So in Hebrew, the true meaning of this statement is 
I have gotten a man, even the deliverer. He didn't know for sure. We don't know for sure, but it's quite possible that with that statement, Eve may have thought that Cain was the seed that God had promised her. Eve's second pregnancy brought Abel into the world. His name can mean breathe, vapor, or emptiness, and is the word translated vanity at least 38 times in Ecclesiastes. There is no fanfare in learning Abel's name. But in verse 2, the brothers' occupations are mentioned. Abel was a shepherd. He kept the sheep. And Cain was a farmer. He tilled the land. The occupations probably reflect their different interests and skills, but, but both are admirable professions. So there's no shame in what they did. Then we come down to verses three and four and five. One day, Cain gave part of his harvest to the Lord and Abel also gave an offer to the Lord. He killed the firstborn lamb from one of his sheep and gave the Lord the best parts of it. The Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering, but not with Cain and his offering. This made Cain so angry that he could not hide his feelings. So the scriptures don't necessarily tell us where Cain and Abel got the idea to bring any kind of offering, and nor do the scriptures say that these were sin offerings. The various kinds of offerings were not known at this particular time, it's much later. And so it's quite possible that God gave Adam and Eve unrecorded instructions regarding worship that they passed on to their children. But since the Bible doesn't say, whatever we think would only be speculation and assumption. So we have to kind of use our mind's eye in this situation. We have an idea how much time, we have no idea how much time had passed from Adam and Eve's sin up to this point. What we do know is that some time has passed. And after an unknown period of time serving as a farmer, we are told that Cain brought, brought of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. If this was an act of worship, since Cain tilled the ground, he brought the Lord an offering and from what we and from what he had grown. And there was nothing wrong with that um, because that's what he had to offer. And just like any little brother would, Abel followed his brother's lead, or perhaps maybe even what his father had taught him. But God accepting Abel's offering and not Cain's has led to all sorts of speculation. Perhaps God preferred the offering of Abel because of what it signified in this particular time and place. So we see that God didn't accept Cain's offering, but what was the difference? And that answer might be in the condition of their hearts. Did Abel come to God by faith? If God had given both brothers a revelation about offering him the first fruits of their, of their labors, it appears that Abel obeyed and Cain did not. And of course, Cain was extremely angry. And in other words, he was, he was pretty mad. He was big mad. So as we say today, Cain got an attitude. And his anger could easily be seen in his face. And so now we come to Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. And they read, The Lord said to Cain, What's wrong with you? Why do you look so angry? If you had done the right thing, you would be smiling. But you did the wrong thing. And now sin is waiting to attack you like a lion. 
Sin wants to destroy you, but don't let it. Even though Cain had treated God improperly with his offering, the Lord was still sensitive to his situation. The two questions that God asked Cain indicated that he desired to counsel him concerning what it meant to give a proper offering. It was as though God was counseling his wayward child, you know. So now with that, with the two questions, why are you angry and why do you look so down? God was giving Cain a chance to consider his anger and realize that a good conscience is indicated by a good facial expression as well. So it's kind of like your mama saying, fix your face, fix your face, fix your face. And we've all had that moment. So apparently he refused to answer the Lord, which reveals how deep his attitude problem was. For whatever reason, Cain's offering was rejected. God was willing to give him another opportunity to offer an acceptable sacrifice. So using the form of a question, God was telling Cain that he could still make a decision to engage in proper worship in the future. Here, we see God extending grace to Cain. Cain was at a crossroads at this point. If he chose not to come to God with the right attitude, the Lord warned him of the consequences. God was telling Cain to be very careful because his sin of anger was going to finish him off. Cain still had time to get his head together. God was encouraging him to get his head in order and not let sin control him. And at this point, all was not lost. So now we get to verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go for a walk. And when they were out in the field, Cain attacked and killed him. So rather than heed God's warning, Cain committed the first murder and probably even the first premeditated murder. Cain led, out, Cain led Abel out into a field. So we don't really know why he went to a field, maybe to make it look more like an accident than a murder. But nevertheless, he committed murder. So now we come to verses 9 through 12. Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, where is Abel? How should I know? He answered. Am I supposed to look after my brother? Then the Lord said, why, why have you done this terrible thing? You've killed your own brother and his blood flowed onto the ground. Now his blood is calling out to me to punish you. And so I'll put you under a curse because you killed Abel and made his blood run out on the ground. You will never be able to farm again. When you try to farm the land, it won't produce anything. From now on, you'll be without a home and you'll spend the rest of your life wandering from place to place. So here we have the Lord again confronting Cain with a question. But of course, Cain wanted to play dumb. And the lack of respect and this lack of holy fear has reflected in Cain's inferior sacrifice. Cain went wild with jealousy and his attitude prompted him to get flippant with God by asking, am I my brother's keeper? So now he is trying to say that Abel is not his responsibility. But if we are all fellow Christians, aren't we responsible for each other? Good question. So now God um, took on the role of a prosecutor. God is asking more questions, talking about digging in and giving chances to get it right. Cain just wasn't having it. He just refused. 
to prevent Cain from making things worse by lying again, God let him know that he already knew what he had done. He had clear and undeniable evidence of Abel's murder. So God could have taken vengeance with an immediate stroke from heaven, from the sword of an angel or by a thunderbolt, but he chose to make the earth the avenger of blood, allowing Cain to continue upon the earth and not immediately cutting him off. This is another instance of God's grace and mercy. And here the ground had been forced to drink Abel's innocent blood. So now the ground would be in rebellion against Cain. If Cain could not be trusted with his brother's life, he could not be trusted with God's land. In God's sight, Cain's punishment fit the crime he had committed. He had a he was a tiller of the soil. He was a farmer, and his jealousy had arisen when God had not accepted his vegetable offerings. This curse upon Cain, who again is a farmer, banished him to a hard life of wandering. So wherever he went, wherever he cultivated the earth, it would resist him, reminding him of the sin he committed. And so now we're at our final verses, 13 through 16. The punishment, this punishment is too hard, Cain said. You're making me leave my home and, leave, and live far from you. I will have to wander about without a home and just anyone could kill me. No, the Lord answered. Anyone who kills you will be punished seven times worse than I am punishing you. So the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn everyone not to kill him. But Cain had to go far from the Lord and live in the land of wandering, which is east of Eden. So now we've come to the point that the deed was done and the consequences had been revealed. Cain showed remorse, but... He wasn't sorry for what he had done. He was sorry for the price he had to pay for his sin. He doesn't complain about the greatness of his sin. He complained about the harshness of the punishment as if he deserved less. So instead of justifying God in the sentence he rendered, Cain condemns God by not accepting the punishment of his sin, but by quarreling with it. He is a man who should be overjoyed that he is still living, and yet he complains about the punishment he received. He thinks that he had been harshly dealt with when the truth is that God had treated him fairly. He cries out that he is being wrong when he was more has more reason to wonder why God just didn't plain old kill him. As Cain saw it, his punishment consisted of depravity and danger. Cain would be deprived of two things. First, he would be deprived of the land in which he lived. His home, his livelihood was being taken away from him. Second, he would be deprived of God's presence as he also said to God, and from thy face shall I be hid. Although no one should be hidden from God, Cain feared losing that personal contact with God. Not only did Cain's punishment consist of what he would be deprived of, it also consisted of danger. As he's warning about the land, Cain saw himself as living among enemies who would try to kill him. And at this time, remember, very few humans are there. So I'm sure everybody knew that he killed his brother. So wherever he wandered, he would fear for his life. Again, at this time, the only people who were living were his relatives. Yet he is even 
just justly afraid of them. Seeing himself thrown out of God's protection, Cain viewed every human he met as coming against him to kill him. So God was being sensitive to Cain in his remarks. So our gracious and merciful God tempted his judgment with some mercy. Cain's life had been spared and would continue to be spared. In his mercy, he assured Cain that anyone who killed him would suffer his vengeance sevenfold. So it'd be worse than what Cain's dealing with. So the matter of the fact is, it would be a foolish attempt for any man to play God and take judgment out on his hand, out of his hand by taking vengeance upon Cain. Anyone who did would pay a cost seven times greater than Cain's punishment. To assure his punishment from potential avengers, the Lord has set a mark upon Cain. Now, we don't know much about this mark except that the purpose of it was for a designation. And so he chose to preserve Cain's life with this mark and would prevent anyone from killing him. So even after receiving some mercy from God, Cain still must leave the face of the Lord. He must depart from the presence and covenant circle of God. Some people become angry when their best efforts don't result in the anticipated outcome. The term rageaholic describes those who appear to be addicted to rage. Some people have rampant anger that may often be directed at suspecting innocent people. Anger can lead us to commit acts that we later regret, including acts of violence. Even though our anger may not only last, may only last for a moment like a bomb, anger's momentary explosion can cause widespread damage. We have to be sure to deal with our anger and disappointment. God punished Cain because he allowed his anger to turn to rage and then to murder. So how do we, or how do you react when someone confronts you about your harmful actions? So let's take an honest assessment of, our, of yourself to determine whether you have feelings of anger or jealousy towards someone because you do not want to take responsibility for your own behavior. This is Takia Evans, be blessed, take care of one another, and thanks for tuning in to Out of the Box Sunday School, and I'll talk to you next week.